growing up days, and I used to go with my dad to Rotary. I always enjoyed going to Rotary because um, you're in a room with a bunch of men and you just don't know what they're going to do. I don't know how many Rotarians we have in here, but as a young boy uh, growing up, I just enjoyed going with my dad. And I think I've told you before that the president of the university at that time, Southwestern Oklahoma State University, the Rotarians were responsible for putting flags out throughout the year. So when it was the president's time, since he was um, up in years, he would pay me $5 to do his part. In the early 70s, $5 was a lot of money. I don't know if you remember what minimum wage was. My first job was $1.25 an hour. So to get $5, but still, hanging with my dad was the cool part. So I always enjoyed going to Rotary and being in a room with a bunch of men. Being in a room with a bunch of men. I'm sure you know we're not too far removed from the Rotarians opening the door and allowing women to become Rotarians. And I'm sure you know there was a bunch of men who thought, yeah, we don't like this. There's probably still men today who are thinking, yeah, we still don't like this. We're in a study of the book of Acts, and we're calling it Empowered to Witness. We're taking that from Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You'll receive power. You've heard me say it a number of times. You'll receive, the Greek word is dunamis. You'll receive dynamite. God's going to explode, not only on the scene in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, but God wants to explode in our lives and do some powerful things in our lives. And we noticed last week that God opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And in the same way, there's some folks, some men in Rotary who thought, yeah, we don't want those women coming in. There were some Jews and some Pharisees and some church-going folks who said, we don't want those folks coming in. And so it created quite a stir. And people were upset because when you open the door, you get all kinds of stuff in. We illustrated that. When you open the door, you get bugs and flies and pests and dirt and sometimes we want to put screens on doors to determine a little bit what's coming in and what's not coming in. Well, when it comes to God opening the door, we probably need to pay attention and we probably don't need to be putting any screens up. And so we notice that God has been opening the door in a number of ways. And so I wanted to start with that because God's going to open the door again in chapter 16. We looked at chapter 15. They had what's called the Jerusalem Conference. We don't want to make it difficult for the Gentiles coming through the door. We know God opened the door, but some of y'all are making it kind of difficult. And so we had this big conference and a lot of people spoke. And James, the brother of Jesus, gets up and says, Look, listen, we don't, we're not going to make it difficult for the Gentiles who are coming to faith, for the Gentiles who are coming through the door. So let's see what's going on in Acts chapter 16 today. This is what's called the second missionary journey. God exploded on the scene in Jerusalem, and then God explodes in Judea and Samaria, and God continues to explode to the ends of the earth. How are you going to do that? Well, we call them missionary journeys. I don't know if that's what they called them. 
So we've already seen one missionary journey. In Acts 16, we're on the second missionary journey. So Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. So it looks like God closed the door to this area. Or at least He closed the door at this time. You ever had God close the door on you? God, why are you closing the door on me? I mean, it's so obvious to me that I need to be going in this direction and God closes the door. We're going to talk more about that. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to, so they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach there. God closed the door one place. He said, look, i got different plans. I know it looks like an open door to you, but guess what? I need you to go through this door because I've got plans. So God opened the door to Macedonia. We keep reading. From Troas we put out to sea, sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day on to Neapolis. From there we traveled to Philippi a Roman colony in the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down, began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she opened her home to Paul and his companions. So here's what's going on. If you read through Acts, as we've been noticing in Acts, the first thing Paul's going to do when he comes to a town is he's going to go to the synagogue. And he's going to preach at the synagogue. But Philippi is a Roman town, a Roman colony. And we're going to come back to that. So there wasn't a synagogue. So when there wasn't a synagogue... The people in that time would have a place of prayer, usually down by the river. Evidently, Paul knew that, so he's going to go outside the city and he's going to find this place of prayer. And at the place of prayer, there's a bunch of women. And here's a woman on the top end of the social scale. How do we know that? Well, because she's a dealer in purple, the sign of royalty. And so if you were a dealer in purple, then you were well off. And so maybe she had a business, maybe she had a shop. We're not sure what she had, but God explodes on the scene and opens her heart to the message. Just like God still does today. We should never underestimate the power of God. We should never underestimate when God may show up. We should never underestimate how God may want to empower us to be witnesses. So God opens the heart of Lydia and she's baptized and she says, Hey, I want you to come to my home. Here's what's going on. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we met a We're met by a slave girl. Now, not that it really makes any difference, but we've gone from the top end of the social scale to pretty much the bottom end of the social scale. And we've got a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. Luke, who writes this letter, never never negates that that is a possibility. In fact, New Testament writers know that there's people who tap into dark powers and forces... And so they acknowledge the fact that this slave girl could do that. In fact, Paul writes later on in Ephesians 6, our, our battle's not against flesh and blood. Our, our battle is against stuff we don't even see, the dark forces we don't even see, the rulers and the principalities. So 
She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. It's a good message. It's a right message. But evidently, it troubles Paul that a slave demon girl, that the girl is possessed by a demon in spite of the message. So... Paul finally became so troubled, he turned around and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. Paul is interested in the girl. The owners are not. In fact, I like what Stephen Gurr writes. He said, they don't make this a pocketbook issue. They make this a patriotism issue. We're going to come back to that. When the owner of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. Now remember, Philippi is a Roman colony. They dressed Roman. They spoke Roman. Everything about them, they were bleeding Roman. So instead of playing the pocketbook Hey, she, you know, she earned money for us. They said, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. These Jews are messing with our Roman ways. So that didn't take much for them to stir up the crowd. So they joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and they ordered them to be stripped and beaten after they'd been severely flogged, not just flogged. I mean, you would think flogged is bad enough. Severely flogged. They were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet to the stocks. Now, this isn't prison the way whatever you envision of prison. You remember the Romans took great pride in inflicting pain. The Romans took great pride in torturing people. So this was no different. They would put you inside and they'd put you in stocks and they would spread your legs on those stocks so that your muscles would intentionally be cramping and the blood flow would not be good. They were going to make it as miserable for you as possible. They put you in prison to die. And that was their plan here. They wanted these folks to die and go away. And again, they played the Roman trump card. So what happens next? At midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. At midnight, in stocks, muscles cramped, beaten, bruised, naked. Of all the things they could be doing, complaining to the guard, complaining to the other prisoners, complaining to God. Of all the things they could be saying, of all the things that could come from their lips, they're singing praises to God. It reminds me of a scene from the movie Shawshank Redemption. Maybe you've seen that movie. Shawshank is a prison, and there's a scene in that movie where Andy Dufresne, who's played by Tim Robbins, is in the office, and he finds a vinyl record of an opera, and he puts that on over the loudspeaker, and they show throughout Shawshank people just stop in their tracks. They're just looking up at the speakers. I mean, they don't even know how to respond because the music is so awesome. And the character Red, played by Morgan Freeman, and you know I won't do him justice, says, I have no idea to this day what those two Italian ladies were singing about. 
I like to think it was something so beautiful it can't be expressed in words and makes your heart ache because of it. I tell you, those voices sound higher and farther than anybody in a gray place dares to dream. It was like a beautiful bird flapped into our drab little cage and made those walls dissolve away. And for the briefest of moments, every last man at Shawshank felt free. I can almost imagine, as the other prisoners are listening, I wonder what the song was on their lips that night. Some, some commentators suggest, if you read Philippians chapter 2, where Paul has this phenomenal discourse on Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Some suggest that that's an early Christian hymn. In Philippians... That is recorded, which he wrote to the church at Philippi when he was thrown in prison. In Philippians, where he uses the word joy or rejoice 19 times. In Philippians, when he says, I've learned to be content in any and every situation, whether well fed or hungry. I've just learned to be in Philippians. He's written, it's one of the prison epistles that he wrote when he was in prison. Full of joy. Maybe he's remembering this situation here. And he's got a song on his lips. I love what Charles Haddon Spurgeon says. Any fool can sing in the day. But songs in the night come only from God. Isn't that good? So they're singing. And prayer and praise are powerful weapons. You know how I know prayer and praise are powerful weapons? Because God's going to show up on the scene. God's going to explode on the scene. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. So God shows up and God opens the chains And God opens the prison doors. And God opens their way to freedom. God's opening up all kinds of doors in Acts chapter 16. And the jailer wakes up and he knows that Roman law said that if a prisoner escapes, the guard will suffer the same penalty that the prisoner was supposed to suffer. So he knows he's going to die anyway. So he cries out to the people who were going to die in the first place. So, maybe, just maybe, I don't know, I don't know God's ways, maybe the reason God closed the door to Asia is so that Paul would intentionally be in prison to be able to preach to this guy. Maybe God closed the doors on what Paul said, hey, wait a minute, this looks like a good way, and God says, no, no, no. I've got Lydia, I've got a slave girl, I've got a jailer, I've got other plans. God always opens doors to His purpose and His glory. So the jailer cries out to um, Paul and Silas. You know, it kind of reminds me of Old Testament book Esther. You remember Esther, she became queen and she was a Jew. And the Jews were about to be wiped out. And her cousin Mordecai says this, Do not think that because you're in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows that you have come to royal position for such a time as this. 
Who knows that you didn't become queen so that God could open His door to do great things through you. I believe that you are where you are, that you live where you live, that you live in this area, that you're at the job that you're at, because God is using you to open doors so that He can empower you to be a witness. And even if it means He puts you in a bad place, like prison, take advantage of the situation. God, I'm not sure why I'm here. I'm not sure what your plan is. But obviously, you're opening some kind of door. Would you use me in some powerful way? Maybe, just maybe, Paul is in prison for a reason. They weren't doing anything wrong, and yet they were thrown in prison. God opens doors for His glory. So, the jailer called for lights, rushed in, fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? That's probably not the way you're thinking um, in your wonderful church theology. Hey, see, there's the plan of salvation right there. No, it's probably, Sirs, what can I do to get out of this mess? He knows he's fixing to die. You ever prayed that prayer? God, can you help me out of this mess? Sometimes the salvation we pray for is not eternal salvation. It's salvation from a mess, sometimes even a mess we get ourselves into. God, can you help me out of this financial mess? God, can you help me out of this messy relationship? God, can you help me out of this? So he's probably praying, Sirs, what can you do to help me out of this mess? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and all your household. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. That hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds, and immediately he and all his family were baptized. The jailer opened his house to them and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he'd come to believe in God, he and his whole family. Maybe the reason the jailer cries out to Paul and Silas, cries out to guys who he had probably inflicted wounds on and who he's fixing to clean the wounds of, Maybe he cries out to them because he's seen what God has done through them already. He's witnessed the singing. He's seen God explode on the scene. He's seen God open doors to their chains and to the prison. He's seen what God is doing. Much like Acts chapter 4 when Peter and John, they looked at them and they saw that they were unlearned, unschooled men. But they could tell they'd been with Jesus. Maybe the jailer could tell, wow, there's something different about these guys. And people will cry out to us in the same way when they see God working in our lives and they'll ask us questions. And God empowers us to respond the same way. And He cleans their wounds. He cleans the wounds of the enemy. Can you do that? Would you be able to clean the wounds on somebody who has done something bad to you? Can you clean the wounds of... You know, to me, this just shows God in an even more powerful way. That God in His power can remove any bitterness or anger. That God in His power can, in in the bigger picture, see that we need to do something according to His plan. That God in His power will enable us to see people and not be full of pride. That God in His power will enable us to witness, even if it's two enemies... Got to keep rolling. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order... Release those men. I get the impression. I I can't find it any other way. Rodney and I were even talking about this this week. So the jailer takes them to his house and he cleans their wounds. 
I get the impression he takes them back to jail and puts them back in the cell. Because the magistrates send orders evidently to the cell and say, hey, you need to release those men. We don't really have any convincing charges. You need to release those men. doesn't say they went to his house. doesn't say they knew what was going on. I don't know how they would have missed the earthquake. But evidently, it looks like they sent word back to the jail. So he took them back to jail. Maybe Paul said, you know what? About time for us to get back to jail because we don't want you to get in trouble. That would be something just like Paul. So they go back to jail and the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave. Go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, now listen, they've played the Roman trump card on Paul and Silas. Paul and Silas played the Roman trump card on them. And say, you know what, they beat us publicly without a trial even though we are Roman citizens. A lot of history there on how Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, but they threw us into prison. And now do they want to get rid of us quietly? No, let them come themselves and escort us out. I don't think this was a vengeance deal. I think this was a protection deal for the women and the other believers in the church there at Philippi. He just wanted to go on record that if this is how you're going to treat Roman citizens, the least you could do is come face to face with me yourselves. So Paul plays the Roman trump card. Now, listen, you didn't jack with Rome. You jack with Rome and you die. We've seen that. The penalty for what they just did to Paul and Silas, this wasn't just an embarrassing act. They know that they can suffer the death penalty for what they did to Paul and Silas. So, they're a little alarmed. And they respond. And they come over. And they want Paul and Silas to leave. And Paul and Silas aren't in a real hurry to leave. Let me get to this verse. The officers reported this to the magistrates. And when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they're alarmed. They came to appease them, escorted them to leave the city. Paul and Silas said, yeah, you know what? We're going to stop at Lydia's house. We're not in any hurry. And then they leave. Okay, I'll take a breath. I showed you all of that and told you all of that because I want you to see that throughout Acts 16 and still today, God opens doors. There's not a single door God can't open. God opens doors. He opens the door to Macedonia. He opens the door to Lydia's heart. He opens the door, the door to this slave girl. He opens the prison doors, the chains. He, he opens the heart of the jailer. He opens freedom for Paul and Silas. God opens doors. You, you know in reading the Bible, Jesus says, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and eat with him and he with me. You know what? There's not a door God can't open except the door to your heart. Only you can open that door. Jesus isn't going to force His way into your life. He's going to knock. He wants to come in. He wants to take up residence. But only you can open the door to your heart. You need to open the door to your heart. Let me illustrate. This last Tuesday... Rodney Yarbrough called me and he said, I need to come talk to you and you're going to want to shoot a video. 
Rodney is the son of Ken and Charmaine. Rodney's sick today. You're going to see that video several weeks down the road. It's powerful. So I met with Rodney, and then we shot a video. Rodney's 45 years old. And I told the elders, I don't know if I've ever in my life seen the weight and burden of sin weigh somebody down as much as it did Rodney. Now, we all know how sin weighs us down, and we all know how the burden can weigh us down. And I'm not making light of anybody else's burden. I'm just telling you, out of all the people I've seen in life, I've never in all my life seen somebody so weighted down by regrets and guilt and sin and he confessed and he confessed to a lot of things and you know I'm a pretty reserved person and so for someone to confess hey let me tell you about this I'm like no no I'm I'm good and he confessed anyway cuz he needed to and I said brother so I told him cuz I knew I was studying this I was in the midst of studying this I said brother you got to open your heart and you got to let God in Because God never intended for you to carry those burdens. And that was Tuesday afternoon. And he said, you know, I I was baptized as a child. And and I'm just wrestling with some stuff. And I really want to be baptized again. And so his dad baptized him Tuesday night. We came out of an elders meeting. The elders were here. Rodney Britt was here with Rodney Yarbrough. I can tell you from Tuesday afternoon, feeling so heavy, to Tuesday night, and he's been texting me. I'm telling you, the weight's gone. The guilt's gone. He knows that the sin is gone. You know why? Because he opened the door to his heart and said, God, I want you to come in. God opens doors. And God wants to open the door to your heart, but you have to do that. But once you open the door, all this stuff that we worry about sometimes coming in, God says, let me have all your stuff. I don't know what's on your heart today. I don't know what you're wrestling with. I don't know what your guilt is. I don't know what your burdens are. I don't know what your regrets are. I don't know what your scars are. But you don't need to carry that load after seeing everything that God can do and how God opens the doors to so many things, only you can open the door to your heart. And God wants in. And He wants to cleanse. Make you new. Make you a new creation. Rodney told me later, he said, I feel so refreshed. It's almost like the burden had been lifted. Listen, church. Why don't you allow God to do what He does best? Open doors and come in and do great things. I don't want you to carry your burdens. I don't want you to wrestle with those sins. I I don't want you to feel no power at all. God wants to empower us, not just to live victorious Christian lives, but God wants to empower us and come in and do some great things through us. Would you allow God to do that today? Maybe you just want to kind of open the door a little bit. Sometimes that's what we do. God, you know, you can come in for a visit. You're back out. I'm going to close the door. God doesn't want to visit. He wants to take up permanent residence. He wants to change you. Would you allow God to do that today?
We've got shepherds that meet in the back. They'll take you to a private room if you so desire. And sometimes it's uncomfortable responding to a big group. I understand that. A lot of people understand that. If you say, you know what, I I got a burden, but I need it to be lifted, the shepherds will meet you in the back. If you want to come down front and have us pray for you in in, in that fashion, we can do that. If you've never been baptized, if you've never opened the door and said, God, I want you to come in and I want you to take up residence and I want you to fill me with your spirit and I want the forgiveness and I want the peace and I want the joy and I want to be in heaven, but I want you to live in my heart. If you've never accepted Jesus in baptism, can I encourage you to do that today as we stand and sing? Just as I am.